This episode is brought to you by Blueprint Renovate Program, the program designed to create space in your firm to cultivate mindset change through what you do every day. Visit blueprinthq.com.au slash contact to start the conversation. Welcome to Conversations with Sam Dean. I'm Sam Dean and I'm excited to have you here to explore the conversations that accountants and advisors can have with their clients to cultivate business mastery. All the notes and links for the show can be found at blueprinthq.com.au slash podcast. Let's start a conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I hope this finds you very well. As discussed in the previous episode, and off the back of the Mark Collegiate interviews and also the startup interviews as well, I've created the next few podcasts as a series to how we can actually look at creating the space within our own businesses so that we can start changing and, and making some of the shifts that Mark made and then also some of the mindset shifts that we will need going forward. I really believe that we have everything in ourselves and in our businesses to become the central advisors for our clients. But we need to shift our businesses and some of our skills, particularly in what we do every day, to create the space to do that. So what we firstly need to look at is actually our own businesses and our core business being the production of of end-of-year income tax returns and financial statements. This still statistically makes approximately 85% of most of your businesses. And even if you aren't that high, it will be a significant part of the businesses. So we always start here in what we do every day to see if we can start creating more space, making more efficiency within our firms. And also creating a mindset shift, not only in ourselves as leaders, but within our staff as well. It's really important to make these sort of changes progressively and around what you do every day. Any kind of change or habit change needs to be done in small incremental stages. And we've found massive power in actually doing it in what we do every day. So today I'm going to go through a little bit of theory as to why um, we kind of get stuck in our end of year and what I call our addiction to the um, lodgement adrenaline rush and then also go through the purpose of why you want to really start looking at your end of year and what we're actually trying to achieve from that, and then the the bones and the steps and the stages of how you can look at your end of year um, in with a more planning, proactive mindset and a finishing mindset as well, and then how you actually link different stages of communication with your clients so you can really start shifting the conversation around, firstly, what you do in a year, um, for end of year and then how we actually then start repositioning the conversation in small stages to sort of get some the next stage of advisory work for you. And over the next few weeks, we'll be drilling down in a very practical way on the steps and the thought processes that you can go through in each of the stages of the workflow blueprint. So if you want to um, jump onto our website, um, there's a couple of documents there that support this. First of all, it's the accounting end-of-year workflow, and then the second one is what we call the job workflow blueprint um, for end-of-year, which we'll work through the stages in that. You don't actually need them, but it might make the conversation more practical for you. So let us start off with 
why our addiction to the end of year workflow gets in the way and also our addiction to the end of year lodgements as I was talking about. Does this sound like you, that you have this absolute rush towards the end of December? So your workflow goes through two very peak troughs, uh, peak climbs, sort of from July, it starts off kind of low. It starts, you know, building in August and September and you're invoicing perhaps in this area why your actual production, your whip, etc., might be okay, might usually be around about 20% um, of your total year. Your invoicing is not, um, you know, 25% or more as, as you would like it to be. It's really curious because the September quarter should actually be our most efficient quarter or our, at least our most productive quarter. There's no public holidays and there's no so major Christmas, Easter or any of those others that tend to get in the way of the other quarters. There's no school holidays and if they are at the end. There's a lot of reasons why this is usually our less productive and certainly our less invoicing one. The first one is we're coming off the rush of the June, May, June, both lodgements and also tax planning if you get it. And we are actually pretty exhausted in July and August. We've trained our clients to perhaps delay them bringing in their work to later on in the year. and. We do a little bit of our, our planning also in July and August rather than perhaps pre-doing it to set this um, period up for success. So there's lots of reasons there. So one of the things we look to is actually to flatten this out or actually increase your production in July and August because if you obviously start the year, it's not always then catching up. Then obviously we lead to a bit of a false deadline in December I'm trying to get all our work done so we can go on holidays and, and have a bigger break because we traditionally do. And then it all starts again in the second half of the quarter and then obviously with the 15th of May deadline. And I think, and I certainly knew I was a subject to this as well. We really, as a personality type, addicted to that rush. Oh my goodness, I've got all this stuff in front of me. Shouldn't be able to do it. Get it done. And this is where if you remember back to Mark's interview, is where we start working those huge, enormous hours as well. We're trying to push stuff through. We have enough production and enough capacity to really flatten this out, but we are so habitually in tuned to really pushing to our deadline watchments, our actually, you know, what the ATO has given us, rather than necessarily to our production deadlines as well. And there's also obviously a lot of client dictation done too. We've trained them to do that. So ultimately what to, what we want to get out and to be able to free space is we can't have this peak and trough because it does get in the way of having other conversations. If you're having advisory conversations with your clients, and by that I mean any conversation outside the end of year or BAS processing, whether it be tax planning or budgets or low-level financial literacy or whatever that is, is that we te- that's not urgent as far as it has to be lodged. So it tends to get dropped, and that's actually where the value conversations go. And we just haven't got time, particularly if you are pushing towards that April-May deadline, to even really where our special skills are in tax and planning, have the time to have these conversations with clients and really define our value, even in what we do every day and the skills that we already have. So the first step, if you like, to get your foundations right is to work through how we can stop this happening. Please be warned right now, and I still suffer a little bit from, uh, is that we have done this for so many years 
that our bodies are almost in tune to the stress and everything, is it? And I know that Mark also suffered from this a bit, is that you sort of get, if we are successful, our ultimate goal is to actually have all of our work done for lodgements. Obviously, if you have 15th of May, you might not have actually physically lodged everything, but the actual work, the preparation of financial statements and everything, the ultimate goal would be to have this finished um, around about December or very flat across the whole year, depending on where your production capabilities and everything are. But we still, when we come to April and May, get this sort of rush in our body to say, well, we should be doing something. And if we're not doing something, we're not under a whole lot of stress right now, you know, what's going on. So that then we feel like we're not doing enough and we get back into that area. So please be warned that that is something that happens. And even after 10 years, it's been since I've done any kind of tax lodgement work like that, I still get sort of this little twitchy thing going on towards the end of the financial year, even though obviously in what we do every day, there is no rush from a compliance lodgement's point of view. Just one of those things that no one ever tells you about. So what would be the purpose to um, actually renovate and look at our end of year and processes and see if we can have a better process and to actually reduce and flatten out our end of year workflow? Well, the first purpose of doing this would be obviously to reduce write-off, increase profitability and flatten out cash flow. This will then lead to um, the reduction of stress and burnout. It will implement a bit of a more of a proactive culture of execution and planning within the firm and within your staff through what they do every day. So there's a real mindset shift here without it appearing to be. It's kind of like putting the broccoli in the meat patty, if you like. And the next one is then also to set a firm foundation for growth and change within your business around with what you do every day. So that's really the purpose of, of looking at, at something like this and starting to sort of break down and use your end of your actual core business as a mechanism to start these changes. And of course, without this, without this foundation and space creation with your business, you can't change. So that's the main purpose. So what are we trying to renovate here? Well, we're looking at the systems and processes within our core business. We're looking at the mindset that goes around these. So I'm getting a lot of feedback at the moment when we're speaking at conferences, both myself and and our consultants, particularly around the workflow and how many people, how many firms, and you're surprised at the size of some of these firms as well, don't have processes that people actually are following on a regular basis and consistently. Some firms do actually have documented processes, but they're not necessarily followed and they might have done a lot of work sort of few years ago. And when we look at processes, we also look at what's actually being done and documenting it and then actually, you know, making sure that it's unique to your firm as opposed and make sure that everyone's involved in it. If you just grab a set of processes, they're more procedures, so they're steps, but the processes need to be, well, how do we communicate around that, what's the behaviour, and then also what's the process if, in fact, you don't follow them. next thing we're trying to look at here is the mindset, so to actually shift into a more planning, proactive mindset when it comes to our end of year. This then makes it a whole lot easier when we're trying to shift in that with our clients' advice, whether that be around tax, um, structuring, or just the way we actually communicate with our clients. 
if we can start using it in what we do every day, it becomes a lot easier. The next thing we're trying to renovate, obviously, is behaviours, both from our team and ultimately not in the first stage, but ultimately from our clients as well. And then the other thing that we will also renovate and have a look at is actually the roles within the end-of-year processing. So when we look at a end-of-year job, there's really three key steps in it. And within those three key steps, there are processes within each one. So usually when I ask, and please ask yourself this question, when you get a job in, what do you do? The usual response to this, and yours might be slightly different, is I grab the job and I start it and then I finish it. So what we're trying to do is actually look at the job in stages. So the first stage that you should look at when you start any end-of-year job, and if you can get this stage right, we know for sure that you can decrease your turnaround time significantly and increase the write-offs in the job exponentially. So that first stage is planning and budgeting. So within this stage, you really want to actually implement a planning mindset and improve the process of resourcing and then actually client planning. The first step in this stage is actually budgeting for the job and actually getting the job ready for success. So making sure that all the client information is in and that you have everything that you need to do to actually process the job. This is a super important stage. And then firms that are very efficient usually spend at least 6 to 10% of their budget in this stage, which is actually counterintuitive because there's actually not any processing within this. Also, this is the stage where we start to see a shift from maybe your accounting production style of people to your administration people to actually have a high input into this stage. We'll go through uh, the mechanisms and the whys and hows of that in the next episode. Stage two is actually the production of the job. And after stage one is actually set it up for success. So we have the all known information at this stage to get the job done. And then we break down the steps in actually processing the job. And one of the interesting things that comes into stage two, which I think is reasonably unique to this process, but I'm hoping some people do actually do it, is actually looking at the reviews within this stage. So at the end of stage two, the job should be ready for to go out as far as um, end of year goes. And we also look at the production of the financial statements, the data that's within that, and then the different levels. And then also the obviously the tax strategy area and then the different reviewing stages as well. We're making sure in this stage that the right people are doing the appropriate levels of jobs. And even if you're a smaller firm with not the old hierarchy, that you're understanding where the different levels of jobs is. So you may later on be able to replace those steps, either with outsourcing, technology, different styles of people. We also do a little bit of work in here around the actual reviewing processes so we can actually teach other people to do it. We intuitively know how to review if we have a little bit more age on us and experience, if you like. So we put a bit more processing around that. So that's reviewing of the actual financial statements, the tax strategies, and the steps within the job. 
we do find that there's usually a lot of redoing as opposed to reviewing. So we spend some time in here and I'll work through that in this particular series for you. The last stage is what we call getting the job ready for success and the client ready for success for the next year. So it's high-level reviews of how we can actually improve the client from a client point of view going forward and how we actually might be able to improve it from an efficiency next year. So we do the setup for the budget at the end of the job. We look at, we debrief on the job, see what other opportunities might, might be within it. And we also, in this stage, meet with the client and talk about what was achieved within the job and what wasn't. Um, and then any future opportunities going forward. Initially, when you start this process, that's also when the invoicing and any kind of efficiency measures is done. Obviously, long term, if you're changing the way that you're invoicing, etc., that's a step that would go to the front of the job. But in this process and this series, we'll look at doing it at the end of the job because that's where most people do it. This stage is also where we start developing resource planning and workflow scheduling for the next year so we can then leverage off client communication to start getting information in earlier and then setting the firm up for success, as I said before. So we actually have data and client information in in early on in the financial year and our client's expectations are met. The first year that you would go through this is obviously a startup year and depending on where you start the processing, it wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have these results. It usually takes a good two tax seasons to get the really great results, but you'll almost immediately see results in your turnaround time and your production, which leads us on to stage four, which isn't in the job workflow blueprint, but talking about how we actually measure some of this and how we actually report on it. As numbers people, we don't report on our internal measures very well. In most firms, and this is a big generalization I know, but most firms can quite often measure productivity, recoverability, not successful in some of the systems that we've got now, but recoverability is obviously productivity times write-off. So those two are good starting points as long as you're regularly measuring them and that there's actually a reason why that you measure them. Ultimately, particularly when you're looking at core business and moving on to um, a more agile business, these aren't great measures. We tend to only measure what we can measure easily, and obviously productivity is one of them, but they're also it's also a uh, measure that does block a lot of change and everything as well because it's based on chargeable hours. However, that's probably a podcast coming up in the future, so we're not going to solve that problem today. But what we are trying to do is get measurability around a slightly more lead indicator in this. This is turnaround time of jobs. We know that the more that you can improve your turnaround time, and there's two stages to turnaround time, which I'll work through right now. So there's turnaround time that you don't have a lot of control is, and that's the day that the information comes in from the client to the day that you can start the job with all the budget and then all the client information in. The second stage of turnaround time is when the job is ready to start with all known information in to when the job is actually invoiced. So if we know that if we can reduce the turnaround time, that write-off is reduced. But also what happens with reducing turnaround time is obviously relationship with the clients increase because it's not sort of going into 
a black hole. So another one of the benefits of measuring turnaround time is we can clearly give our clients indication as to when their work's going to be started and when it's going to be finished. And this is when we start building in some communication that client wouldn't otherwise get. So let's run through the steps again. The first stage is all about planning, getting the job and the client's information ready for success. Second stage, actually processing and really starting to think differently about processing the stages of the job's financial statements and how we review them. And stage three is getting the, the job ready and the client ready for success next year and starting to also then reposition how we look at the job and then how we actually look for opportunities within the clients as well. Then we look at the reporting and how we actually might be able to measure the success of this and the new interesting numbers that might come out of this process that we are able to measure easily and shift away from the more traditional lag measurements of productivity and capability. So that's what we're going to look at over the next three weeks. The idea of actually doing this series is to show that you can actually start looking at implementing a more proactive culture of execution and planning around what you do every day. You reduce profits and increase profitabilities, flattening out cash flow and reduce that stress and burnout. But as I said right at the beginning, it's important that we get right into the core of our business first before we look at and look at what we do every day so we can start putting the changes that we need to be in to be more agile going forward so we can have the practices that we deserve with the space and then we can also reposition ourselves into be central advisors for our clients going forward. So remember, continue the conversation and be brave. I look forward to catching up next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. To check out more information on all things Sam Dean and Blueprint, go to the website blueprinthq.com.au. And remember, continue the conversation and be brave. See you next time.